Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. This week, we're going to discuss the outlook for the construction industry in 2021. From there, we will use the industry outlook as a starting point to discuss where construction teams should focus their energy to continue moving forward during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Our hope today is to offer some actionable guidance on where to start. With that said, my guests this week are Greg Shopman, principal at FMI, and Matt Steer, construction industry strategist here at Autodesk. I've had the pleasure of collaborating with Greg and some of his colleagues last year on two webinars focused on project restarts during the pandemic. These came out after the initial lockdowns rolled out across the world. And Matt is an instrumental part of Autodesk's global strategy and always offers our team great insight as we decide how to best support our customers and the construction industry as a whole. Thanks for joining me on the show, guys. I'd like to start by learning more about your roles and how both of you ended up in the construction industry. Greg, can we start with you? Absolutely. Well, I actually started in the industry as a landfill engineer. Boy, that's the most glamorous uh, role I think ever. That was actually while I was at UF and kind of migrated to project management for construction companies. And I've been with FMI for roughly about 17 years uh, helping contractors and construction firms of all makes and models all over the world deal with things like operations, strategy, things of that nature, and uh, absolutely love the business. Well, I'm glad you're here today, Matt. It's, it's been fun, you know, getting to know you over the last couple of years as we had a chance to work together. And I've always appreciated FMI's insight as we've worked on research and all kinds of other projects. So I'm happy you're able to, you know, take some time and to talk Thank about the, the outlook for 2021. Matt, how about you? Can you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, thanks, uh, Eric. It's good to be here today, too. So my background actually started, my dad was a contractor, and so I would go out with him to a lot of job sites. And I really loved the industry as a little kid. And then as I grew older, I decided to go to design school and get some degrees in architecture to actually come back to the construction industry and help on the technology side and the communication side. So I've been in the industry for just over 18 years uh, doing technology for construction. And here at Autodesk, what I do is I work on the strategy side for Autodesk Construction Solutions. And so... You know, we try to find out what the industry is actually asking for, what we should look forward to, um, what are the technologies we should bring forward through our product teams to support the industry. And it's really exciting. It's a really fun uh, place to work and really fun industry to be in. I agree wholeheartedly, Matt. And I always appreciate your insight when we're collaborating. You know, you've really got a great sense of what the, you know, the, the customers are up to, what the industry is looking for. So thanks for joining me on the show here. As I mentioned earlier, the first segment of today's show, we're going to be discussing the current outlook for the construction industry, followed by a discussion on what people in the industry need to do to prepare for the coming year. We're all well aware of the impacts of the pandemic in construction, but today I'd really like to focus on the future. And since vaccine distribution has been increasing exponentially and lots of stalled projects are going back out to bid, this feels like an important time to discuss the road ahead. And the catalyst for this discussion was the release of a new report from Autodesk centered on the construction industry's outlook for 2021. 
So Matt, from your perspective as, as an industry strategist here at Autodesk, can you share the key takeaways from the Construction Outlook Report? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So in this report, it's really, uh, really interesting to see that we're moving into a new phase of construction. You know, in the last year, obviously during the pandemic, some of the construction actually slowed down for a bit of time, but it's accelerating now. We know that from huge increases in bidding activity from November to January, the projects are actually starting up again. And that'll bring opportunities and challenges for all businesses in the next few months. And so we're going to talk about how we should be prepared for that. Well, thanks, Matt. And, and Greg, I'd love it if you could share what you're hearing from FMI's customers about this upcoming year as it relates to outcomes and all of these projects that seem to be coming back to life or going back out for bid. Yeah, it, it's very fascinating, largely because, and I was actually with a group of contractors last week on a peer group that I lead, and what was fascinating about this conversation, we talked about you know, the pandemic, the fascinating election Additionally, you know, civil strife and all of the other wonderful challenges that 2020 brought us. And then they go, oh, yeah, and by the way, we had a record year last year, um, <laughs> which it, it kind of gives you a little bit of a, you know, wow, that almost seems like how could two things happen simultaneously? One of the worst years ever and best years ever. Best of times, worst of times, I guess. That being said, from our client's perspective, the, the construction organizations, it's very rosy for most folks throughout the country, whether we're talking restarts or just in general, new projects coming online. And, you know, it almost defies conventional wisdom because we often say at FMI that we're a lagging industry. So as the, the rest of the, the world is kind of, you know, maybe, you know, falling off, you know, we're, we're going, hey, this is great. What's the problem? And then 12 to 18 months later now. There's obviously a lot of futures to play out. As you said, vaccine distribution is obviously driving a lot of optimism. But to me, there is a lot of activity. And there are some of the usual challenges that companies are seeing, you know, in light of this growth. You know, once again, top talent, productivity, execution. And then people are wondering, well, is this just a blip on the radar in that we're seeing yeah, the first six months are going to be great, and then we're going to fall off the cliff. So I think the word cautiously optimistic is probably something that has to sit in the back of our mind. All that being said, a definite, after such a challenging year, I'm excited about 2021 and beyond. I feel similarly to you on on that front. You know, it's it's been such a strange journey over the last year with the unknowns at the beginning of it. And it's, if you look at it retrospectively, like, the country and the world did a lot of really impressive stuff in reaction to it. And there was a lot of fear associated with what was going to happen and people weren't, you know, certain where we were headed. But fortunately, I think we're, we're you know, at that inflection point now where people are starting to feel optimistic, even though it's, you know, a little tough after a, a full year of doom and gloom. So I'm, I'm excited to, you know, get into, you know, what the outcomes report actually unpacked and then also have an opportunity to really discuss, you know, what the contractors and, and our listeners should be doing moving forward. I, th I think there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. And I remember the last time you and I had a, a similar conversation about a year ago, like most of the companies, when we talked about the last recession, when we, we asked them, okay, 
what would you have done differently? Like a big part of that wasn't necessarily different actions. It was just acting sooner. And so I'm hoping that we can prime people to go, okay, I need to make some decisions today or very soon. And then hopefully impact their outcomes and their project delivery in a, in a really positive way. Eric, I was going to say too, um, it's really interesting to look at the people of the industry, right? So historically, people in construction, their job is to figure out how to build something from some plans or from a model or something like that. And so they figure it out, right? They build stuff. And so in this pandemic, I'm surprised at how much work we have, but I'm not surprised that the people are figuring it out and saying, we're going to continue to build and we'll figure this out. It doesn't matter what roadblocks we have. You make a great point there too, because unless you're doing the same project over and over and over again, you've got so many different circumstances and change conditions from every project. So, you know, contractors are just primed to, to be responsive to surprises. So it definitely tracks that they, they did well once everybody had a chance to step back and go, okay, like what's going on? What do we do to, you know, make sure our teams are safe and our customers and clients are safe. And then once they had a good sense of that, you know, it was just the, the rocket ship took off. So to that end, I just wanted to say, you're, you're absolutely right. When we talk about our industry being what I call the fixer industry, we see a problem, we fix it. And in fact, you know, most of our clients collectively in, in the construction industry are better when almost, I don't want to say when our back's up against the wall, but we had a problem. We had to look at, you know, the roles, responsibilities, crew productivity, things like that differently. And we we rose to that challenge and, you know, we're doing a lot of things virtually and, you know, also how we plan our work. All of those things being said, it's when sometimes we get complacent when the market's too good and we, you know, unfortunately, you know, the work just rolls in, we throw numbers at it. And, you know, that to me is not when we're best. It's when we go, all right, guys, let's try to fix this thing. And what do we got to do to kind of make that happen? That's when we're best. And I think... That's why we probably thrived above and beyond some external market conditions that helped us as a business. Yeah, yeah we're, uh, we're definitely not wasting a, a good crisis as far as, you know, <laughs> finding some opportunity to, uh, to innovate and, you know, digitize and all those things that we all talk about every day as we, you know, try to get the, the industry moving forward. So the report largely focuses on, you know, bidding data in Autodesk's Building Connected platform. And of course, that's a, a pre-construction focused platform. So I'd like to step back and talk hypothetically for a minute. And imagine you're a VP of pre-construction at a mid-market sized general contractor. What would you do with this new information in the Outlook report? And then what's actually actionable for them today? And, and Matt, how about you take this one? I'd like to hear your take. Sure. Yeah. As, as a VP of, of construction or pre-construction, I would be really scared and excited, I think, um, because there's, there's so much work that's actually coming. But there's four things that we actually point out in this report. The first one is looking at your overhead costs. And can you take the shortage in construction, the labor shortage, and also you have a shortage in uh, technologists too um, in the construction industry. Can you use technology to support that increase of work that you're actually going to have? So that's the first thing. The second one is to look at the burden of restarts. You know, defaults actually happen mostly when construction slows down and then it actually increases in activity. And so we see that there's been 
you know, activity has doubled from March of last year to January of this year. And so it's putting a ton of stress on these construction groups. And the third one is really looking at your trade partners and just making sure that they're qualified. You know, usually we do that like once a year and just make sure they're still there, financially stable, they're okay, they have the right people to do the work. But we should check that more often because, you know, turbulent times like this where you have an increase, you have a lot of companies that actually go out of business or companies where they lose their best people because they go somewhere else to get paid more. And so you have to look at that. Then the last one, is staying diligent about your design risk. Design is an opportunity for us to look at that and actually pick up some of the challenges that are gonna happen on the job site. So, for example, 70% of RFIs could be addressed by proper design reviews during the design phase or pre-construction. Um, and so this will help you to be more organized when you're on, on the job site. So those are the four things that I would actually point out. Greg, if you were, uh, you know, wearing your VP of Precon hat, do you have any uh, any thoughts on, you know, where uh, where you would be focused or, you know, concerned about or excited about? I, I think, you know, all the points from the report are spot on. I think you know, one of the things when I see the discussion about overhead, you know, and, and just about every one of my clients thinks, man, we have way too much overhead. And when we do the analysis, they're actually probably running lean. You know, I think looking at the efficacy of our overhead is the right question, not do we have too many people. So to me, that is incredibly important. I think focusing on the basics, the, the blocking and tackling for all the sports fans out there, but, you know, getting back to the basics of it's not going to work when we just kind of lob the project over the wall and say, well, we got great folks in the field. Let's hope they'll they'll do well on this. But really breaking that project apart and whether it's a restart or whether it's something new starting in the next couple months you know our job should be to say how we're going to do this just a little bit better and that involves our field leaders just really gaming that project out saying where are those rocks in the road and how do we avoid them you know also you know some of the things we probably took for granted like certain materials and certain trades we said well a good example, you know, a cleaning company, you know, and as basic as that sounds, that's not an insult to any cleaning companies. It's just, we get to the end of the project, we have to do final cleaning. Well, find me a cleaning company right now that can do that largely because they're cleaning everything. So you may think, oh, I'll just get to the end of this project and we'll bring in that group for, you know, what is it? A couple pennies to do the final cleaning. Well, they're not there. Those things, you know, coupled with, you know, just some of the material shortages, you know, yes, we have material shortages right now. And it's some of the basic stuff and, you know, things like, you know, steel, steel decking, you know, the, the good things, you know, that we see when it comes to, let's say, the distribution world, the Amazons of the world, as a for instance, that's great for industry because we're seeing an uptick in that type of work. That's also taking things away. So if we have a small office building, how are we going to get that job done? Well, we may have said, oh, yeah, that's an off-the-shelf item. You know, we'll be able to get that no problem. So I think, you know, to, to Matthew's point of, you know, really looking at our trade partners, the ones that have the most exposure and the ones that we maybe don't think of. So doing a deeper dive to just managing and mitigating that risk 
is absolutely imperative. So it can't be a, well, let's just go back to the way we've always done it. It has to be this kind of reinvigoration of, you know, looking at our work and really, really thinking about it and managing the work and managing the business accordingly. The, uh, the only final thing that I'll think about there is, is a former proposal manager in AEC. I have a lot of uh, empathy anxiety for some of my friends who are still you know, hand, handling the, the onslaught of RFPs that are marching in. And I've, I've got some friends who have shared with me that you know, there, there are a lot of irons in the fire right now. And it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out, especially when some teams treat the influx of award opportunities as the go, go, go meeting versus the, uh, the no, the go, no go meeting um there's an opportunity to overcommit i think and it's it's a little bit uh, anxiety inducing oh absolutely yeah. if it all breaks at one time and what happens if your proposal in that let's say scope or proposal letter you had in there uh we anticipated taking four weeks to get steel you know and it's now taking four months to get steel or you know there's an acceleration clause or an escalation in the pricing you know, you could find yourself behind the curve pretty quickly if everything breaks simultaneously. So it's almost like the work that we do get is causing us some of the, the, the deeper anxiety than the work that we're not getting. So just some things to keep in the back of your mind. Oh, absolutely. And, and I know most owners or, uh, you know, construction company owners are reluctant to turn down work, especially from clients that they have a good relationship with. So it's a really challenging balance as far as, you know, strategically choosing what projects you do chase versus wanting to make sure your pipeline is, you know, sufficiently full. And this, this kind of pivots to my next question. I think we've, we've answered a little bit here, but like, I know most of this report was built on pre-construction activity in that BC platform, but like, can you guys share a little bit about why all of the other stakeholders on the project should be paying attention to this report? Yeah, I think it's an activity of communication, right? Where if you're doing a lot of bidding and looking at a lot of work, you're going to win a lot of work too. And so the operations has to take that on, right? And so on the operations side for project teams, are you looking at your staff and also resource planning? What's the schedule? Those sorts of things and saying, can we actually take all this work on? And if you can't, you shouldn't be bidding as much. If you're not planning to grow and find those people to do the work, you're gonna be in trouble really quick. So yeah, I would, I would focus on the operations side in this report as well. So based on uh, all of the people that you, you both have been speaking to across the industry, in the fact that there was such a large spike in you know, bidding activity in January in particular, does it seem like people were expecting this or has this been kind of a surprise for most of the stakeholders you're familiar with? I'll say it was probably a little bit of a surprise. If anything, you know, as we said, or I said a little bit earlier, you know, we tell folks, you know, that, that we're a lagging industry. So people are expecting, you know, as we burn through the backlog to maybe have a little bit more leaner times. But in reality, you know, post-election, post-pandemic, there is a lot of, you know, I would say just unforeseen success and, and windfalls. The, the other part of this, too, to, to Matthew's point, particularly on anything we're getting, we're now going to have to staff appropriately. And finding folks is not that easy either. We've been wrestling with, for at least the last 40 or 50 years, a crisis in the 
labor arena. And that's from all facets of not only tradespeople, but also from project managers, superintendents, estimators. So now we land all this work. Are we going to default to desperation and just find people that can fog a mirror to staff it appropriately? <laughs> and that's a dangerous proposition as well. We talked about risk a little bit earlier. Now we're running the risk of putting you know, unproven entities or free agents that don't know our culture, that don't know our process, but we don't have any other choices. Or are we going to run the risk of burning people out because we're not sure if the market's going to stick around this way for the next 6 to 12 months? So let's just be smart about controlling our overhead cost. The point of this, you know, and I think the another, you know, strategic initiative is that talent development, not just training people, but everything all-inclusive from what is your brand in the marketplace from a hiring perspective, screening, onboarding, development, all of those things. Let's not just take a PM and a great woman or man that's in the business and we just throw them out the job site and say, hey, good luck. I hope everything works out for you. That's probably not a healthy way of running a business, running a project, or mitigating risk. But to answer your, your question, Eric, I, I think it was... A little bit surprising, but we'll say a delightful surprise. Yeah, I was going to say from my perspective too, yeah, it was surprising. And we'll even talk a little bit more about what, what companies can do, I think, further in this episode. But one of the things in talking to uh, some of our customers, you know, trying to get that talent really out of school to come into the construction industry is still a challenge, right? And even in the pandemic, it's still a challenge. And It'll be interesting to see if it's even harder now, because from the perspective of a student saying, I can't even go onto a job site, right? Because I have to be, you know, have my mask and be socially distanced. And so it's going to be less people that are actually building. And it's actually the opposite. There will be more, more people that will need to come into the industry. So how can we tell, especially young people, that you know, your construction company or your subcontracting company is a technology company that builds things, right? So come to my company and help me to figure out how to solve problems through technology while we build something. So I love that sentiment because like there, there's definitely a perception problem in construction as far as, and, and I say this on every episode, I think at this point. So apologies to our listeners for hearing me say it again, but like we, we struggle with a perception problem because a lot of people aren't aware of the, the breadth of technology that impacts every construction project. It's so pervasive and exciting. And there's a lot of really cool stuff. Like if you like robots, like come on into construction, like robots are everywhere at this point, you know, drones, all sorts of stuff. Like even just stepping outside of the complex, you know, software side of that technology. So Matt, I think you've, you've kind of put a great line in the sand here where we can pivot into segment two of our conversation, um, talking about that, you know, what action can our listeners and everybody across the industry really take based on this report that we've released and the understanding of what the economic looks like over the course of the next year. And so now that we've got that understanding of the outlook, I'd really like to discuss, you know, what those actionable steps that construction stakeholders need to be taking to be successful in 2021. And for the rest of the discussion, I think it's important to note that this is, you know, this massive spike in bidding activity. It's likely safe to assume that most construction teams are going to be building at a scale that they did not experience over the first year of the pandemic. So my first question here is pretty straightforward. 
you know, what should those listeners out there be doing moving forward? And this feels especially important for those who may not have done some of the prep work we've kind of discussed a few minutes ago. And I'd love if you both could break it down by, you know, different company types of so general contractor versus subcontractor or, you know, how the owners can be thinking about it. Greg, can you kick us off for this one? Sure. There's probably a lot to unbox there, but I think the, the two things that I sort of alluded to it a moment ago in particular around this concept of talent and growth and and kind of marrying those two things together. So first and foremost, you know, just rather than just saying, yeah, we need to go out and hire a bunch of people, what are we going to do once they get in the building? You know, what does Brand X University look like at your company? And I know that that can be a daunting proposition to, to say, well, wait a second, Greg, we're a $25 million mechanical, you know, and you're talking about having a university folks, it doesn't need to be, you know, 800 courses and you you get credit hours. But if you have core values, what are we doing to train people to those core values? Other than just training on safety, what are we training on when it comes to productivity, customer management, you know, how to even set up your job appropriately? What does onboarding look like in your company? You know, I think those are the, the things that do now start getting those things in place because if the uptick continues to well uptick let's make sure we're not going to be playing more defense and that's when we default to the you know once again can you fog a mirror come on board we'll staff you as quickly as possible so and everything is scalable if you're a a billion dollar enterprise you should already have something along this lines you should have had a good talent development process the other thing to be focusing on if you're looking over the next 6 to 12 months and seeing nothing but just blue ocean and this is going to be outstanding for us to have a great year. Well, make it a great year in profit, not just in volume. Focusing on the execution. That's of the projects, not of the people, I might add. So making sure that you have that proper playbook that you're utilizing, not just to check the boxes and go, yep, we did pre-job planning. Look at this. I got a checklist complete. But judge based on the level of collaboration, interaction, risk mitigation, and do our people really know what the plan is? Those are the two things that, I mean, really, regardless of the market, regardless of post-pandemic, you should be thinking about, you know, almost as part of your just daily list of things to do as a leader. And then finally, making sure that you're focusing on the business and not just simply working in the business. I see too often presidents and VPs kind of managing down a level and then PMs are playing the role of super and super's playing the role of foreman and foreman's playing the role of you know operator. We have to kind of get back to let's manage from the right role on the ship, not managing down in the engine room if I'm the captain. So, Yeah, that's great, Greg. One of the things that I was going to point out as well is it's, not, it's never too late, right? So the best time for you to actually invest in your company and your people is when you're slower. So you can take a step back, take a look at your processes and say, what can we do better or what can we do differently with technology to really help us? And if you didn't do that in the last year, it's okay. You can still do it. Um, it might be a little bit more challenging because you're pulling in all these bids and these new projects, but it's really important that you take a look at the essential activities, right? So what are the essential activities that have to happen on a job site? That's number one. And then you say, what are the essential activities that have to happen to support the job site that don't have to be on the job site? And you look at those. 
And so then you start to look at, at, at how you can adjust your workforce and how you can actually pull people in from technology to support your job site that don't have to be there every single day. So, you know, I guess my message is it's never too late, but you still have to go through the process. It might be a little more challenging now because you're really busy or going to be really busy, but it's never too late. I love all of that because it's it's such a intentional thing. And like we all know that innovating in construction and you know putting all these processes in and such is is typically a, a challenging process. Simply just there's there's a lot of work to do and it's hard to step back and go, okay, like we have all these projects and I want to do this other thing too. But it really does set up your your employees and your teams for success. And Greg, your your comments on you know onboarding really resonated with me. So when I joined my first GC out of school, as I alluded to, I was a proposal manager for a very long time. And when I started that position, I didn't even really know what a proposal manager was and happened to be working for a federal contractor, which was just rife with, you know, acronym land. And I think it took me six months before I felt like I had any idea what was going on any day of the week on my job. It was it was really stressful. And in the onboarding just wasn't really there. It was kind of, okay, come on in. This is what we do. Here's an RFP. Here's some, you know, go-bys to work on. Let, it, let us know if you have any questions. And I'm immediately like, I have so many questions because you've told me nothing. You know, I don't, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what you want. I don't know why we're doing this. And, you know, that six-month mark, it started to finally click for me. And I'm, you know, speaking the lingo and shooting out all the, you know, acronyms like NAVFAC, AFSI, all this other fun stuff that, you know, unless you're in the federal world, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I've also seen the other side of the fence where the onboarding was much more intentional, both in explaining that company culture and then also just kind of giving people an insight about what their expectations for their position were and how they were you know, going to be collaborating with their peers. And having that ongoing you know, university-style learning, even if it's not, like you said, credits or whatever, like you don't have to get complicated with it. You just got to set up the program. It, it means so much for all of your peers and all of the people that work with you because that's the, at the end end of the day, they feel supported in a way that makes them want to stay. And they understand that they have the opportunity to learn new things from people who have been in the industry longer than they have. And that's a win-win for everybody because you're developing your people in a really impactful way. You're also retaining them because they know they're learning new stuff. And you're just making sure that you set that company culture baseline from day one in a really strong, strong fashion. So I think the other thing that our listeners and industry peers really need to be thinking about is how they handle this return to normalcy in the coming year. And I think normal is a relative term because things will always be a bit different moving forward, you know, no matter what happens in the next 6, 8, 10, 12 months. But the first thing for me that comes to mind is the hybrid working environments that suddenly became commonplace in construction and most other industries. So I personally, and Matt has too, been fully remote for a little bit more than a year now. So I'm, I'm curious to hear how you both see the transition back to normal going in the construction industry, especially as the vaccine distribution across the world increases and, you know, everybody starts to loosen their belt and breathe that sigh of relief that, you know, we can be around other people and not be as fearful as we had for the last year. Yeah, I guess the first point that I would like to make there is that if we're returning to normal, we haven't learned anything. So, you know, can you, there are, there are so many companies right now that are leveraging technology 
as this hybrid working environment and they are making more money, right? So how can you leverage that? And then you're still going to have to manage when people come back to the job sites and to the offices. Yes, I think that's going to be a, a different challenge, right? And you have to think about that today and how you're going to integrate people back together and how they're going to feel comfortable, safe, you know, and they feel like that they're going to be there for a long time and you're going to take care of them. So, so yeah, I, 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 I kind of cringe at the normalcy because I don't think we'll ever be back at normalcy either, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's a huge opportunity to actually make more money this way too. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, you know, getting back to normal, no, let's get back to better. We're all look forward to the day when we don't have to wear the masks anymore. That's okay. That's that's what we want to get past. On the other hand, you know, we learned so much this last year about working virtually and and I get it. We do need human interaction and there is something to be said about being able to connect with your colleagues and peers and you know, we we miss that. On the other hand, you know, we also, I, I think your comment, Matthew, has really kind of resonated with me about being in the, the technology business that happens to build. I always use the phrase, we're in the business of construction, not the construction business, you know, if you get my meaning there. And I think, you know, thinking about the business, the technology, let's put some of these tools in our toolbox going forward. There is a place for Zoom. Now, do we need to sit in seven hours worth of, of Zoom meetings every day? No. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but for a construction company that has a PM that has to drive across town, you know, and think of the productivity killing that that does just to go to a job site meeting. Now, I would tell you that there's probably, you know, business development folks that are cringing. It's They go, man, I, I need to get back out and have lunches and go to clients' offices once again, there's a time and a place for everything relative to the normal, as we like to say. But I think, you know, we should and have learned a lot. Let's make sure we don't forget those lessons and go, okay, we got to get back to just, you know, having offices and, you know, 30 people in a job site. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let's get back to better, yeah. not normal. I like it. And I think that hybrid model is, is definitely going to be the way forward. And obviously, you know, construction isn't, isn't like, you know, the, the tech space where you can be fully remote almost all the time because you're not, you know, building a physical thing. So it's, it's a bit of a different circumstance across all of the different industries. And so I've, I do have some pretty strong opinions about how allowing for remote work and flexible workplaces impacts things like the labor shortage. But before I share any of that, I'd love to hear both of your feelings about what you think the future of work in construction is going to look like. What's that What's that optimal hybrid model? Like how many people are going to be remote? How is that going to impact the labor shortage? How does that impact the pool, the pool of talent that we're you know, going to be able to draw from? And I feel like I'm, I'm loading you right now for my personal take on it, so I apologize. But I'm going to stop talking and let you guys respond. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we're an industry that continually talks about we can't find good people. You know, once again, as you said, Eric, you know, we do build stuff. And that's a very, you know, simple way of putting it. So we can't build an office building, a hospital, a distribution center virtually. We literally have to be on the job site. So I get that part. And when we talk about, and I'm not even including, you know, prefabrication or modularization, all of those things are things that we should be involving into our project delivery methodology. So to me, those are kind of the, the things that will continue to aid our business. 
But if we're saying, you know, hey, look, you know, we need an estimator to move necessarily, or could they work remotely and then, you know, possibly hotel in a spot, you know, not stay in a hotel, but hotel and, and come to our office to do a pre-construction meeting or I think, you know, it's not without its challenges. I want to be very clear. I know some people might jump on it and go, oh, my gosh, you know, we'll have no culture then. No, but I think you that hybrid is the operative word here. And we, we've constantly wrestled with the, you know, how do we give people the flexibility? I get it. Our work goes in place from 6 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. And if we can support those things but thinking differently about it, I think we can live in a hybridized world but we have to start with our leadership of our respective organizations thinking that that's okay. If they still have that old school mentality of, no, you, you have to be in the office at 6.30 and work till 5.30, now half hour for lunch and you know no restroom breaks. Well, we're going to be very limited in how we're going to be able to staff things. We're also probably not going to, you know, or we're going to perpetuate this stereotype of an industry kind of stuck in the 1970s. You know, at what point do we kind of go, look, we're willing to change things up to deal with the changes in the workforce and the dynamics. Yes, you should try to find a way to get that culture, but I think we're just going to have to change our thinking and not be our own worst enemy. Yeah, and I think I think you just have to embrace the challenges that are ahead of you, right, in the industry. And we've done a really good job of that um, in the past. In the past couple of years, I've had the opportunity to go through a whole bunch of different fabrication shops and industrialized construction, you know, off-site construction sites. And the thing that has surprised me the most is how much they've invested in technology for the upfront planning. It's a ton. And what it's done is actually it's started to help them in the fabrication shops actually hire people from different industries and train them how to do simple tasks. And they learn more, they learn more, and then they become, you know, a manager at the fabrication shop. Then they start to move out to the field and start doing installations, right? So they're actually up-leveling people within different industries to come to the construction industry through technology. And that is a remote function. So I think those that embrace it will actually see huge dividends by um, investing in that. I'm inclined to agree. And then if you step back to trying to attract that new talent from, you know, the, the universities and young people, that approach to the, the hybrid approach to work is something that they're absolutely going to expect moving forward. And so obviously it's not the, you know, everybody's remote all the time method that doesn't work for construction, but that blend is in that flexibility is what people really look to. And if we don't embrace it to some degree it, with the intentional way, we're going to lose a lot of people to industries that do allow for that, that hybrid approach to working because it's a waste of time to sit in traffic for 45 minutes each way if you don't necessarily have to especially if the the thing you're bringing to the table can be accomplished from home and you're comfortable doing so so there's there's definitely a balance there but i also think it it approaches you know a diversity conversation too so you you really have 
access to such a wider talent pool than you would have otherwise if you do open up those positions that have flexibility for remote work out to that you know that kind of opportunity and like take a, a general contractor in a really rural part of the midwest for example like say a mid-market company that has a few hundred employees and they really want to pull in somebody who has that data science background or some crazy technology chops or loves all the drone technology and has just come out of some super progressive school, but also wants to live in a city. It's going to be really hard to, to pull that person into your organization. But if they're in that back-end support role that manages all of those different pieces of technology, they absolutely can be remote. So now they can live in San Francisco or close to San Francisco, but still help you bring that technology to your job site. And at the end of the day, everybody wins and you have access to such a wider diverse group of people that bring all these different opinions to the project that you're, you're just going to come out ahead, at least in my opinion, although I've seen studies that agree with me on this one, that that diversity angle improves, you know, profit margins in so many different ways. So I, I'm not going to continue over pining on this one because I, I obviously feel very strongly about it. But I, I think it's important for our listeners to, to hear, especially those that, that are more comfortable in that, you know, butts and seats model. And I'm a little bit thankful for the pandemic in the sense that it's, it's forced everybody to recognize that a lot of this stuff can get done now. And we don't all have to be in the job site or in the office, you know, 365 days a year. So... The, the next thing that comes up for me, we keep saying the word culture, and it's an important one, and it can mean so many different things. But I'd like to hear, you know, your take on the impact last year has had on the culture of all of the organizations that, you know, both of you support. I, I'd like to hear the positives, of course, and that I'd, I'd like to hear some of the challenges that, you know, need to be addressed as we, you know, return back to the office in a, in a, a different way than we've been at over the year. Greg, can you kick this one off? Sure, absolutely. I think, you know, from a positive angle and that virus that shall not be named, you know, it, it gets blamed for a lot of things, you know, and, and it's been an, uh, a challenging, I don't even want to talk about the, the devastation and death. I mean, that, that's, it's a horrible thing. But as you alluded to, Eric, and, and both Matt as well, you know, the idea of, you know, we learn how to do things remotely, we, we, kind of were forced to go virtual. We, For an industry that has lagged when it comes to technology for, for many, many years, we amped that up, you know, on steroids from literally a year ago. I mean, if you really put this in context, look how many changes we've made in a positive, from a positive perspective in the last 365 days. That being said, there is an impact to, you know, we've all heard the word Zoom fatigue, you know, as, as, you know, husbands and wives and parents have had to play the role of, you know, teacher, project manager, and, you know, the millions of other roles they have, you know, it, it's exhausting. So, and I think when we talk about this word culture, you know, how do we maintain a culture when your office is no longer in a building, you don't go to lunch with anybody, you don't go to have a cocktail after work, you're not seeing anybody, you know, so that, that is something that all of my clients are wrestling with, and, and some are doing a great job at trying to, at least in the short term, bridge with some sort of, you know, virtual, you know, complement. But I, I think the other part, though, is, as I said, the virus gets blamed for a lot of things. On the other hand, I, I'm thinking of one client in particular that was, you know, they underperformed. I, I did a business evaluation. Long story short, 
they they said, but Greg, you know, we underperformed because you know of of that virus. And I said, well, wait a second, you know, you've been underperforming for three years. You know, <laughs> that's not the virus's fault. <laughs> you know, so I think you know making sure we're we're kind of separating what's you know that the the real news of the day and and what is you know kind of that fake news discussion in your organization. You know, to me, make sure the the cultural thing, you had a strong culture before the pandemic. The good news is when you get back to normal or better, as we said, you're going to be that that transition is going to be like, okay, this is where we left off. But if you had a weak culture before, you know, the pandemic maybe just exacerbated that. Uh, So I think, you know, finding ways to engage your people, whether that's through training, outreach, or doing any sort of, you know, community service projects, you know, I mean, if you're a part of Habitat for Humanity, I'm sure a lot of those type of events have kind of curtailed, but you can find other ways. Once again, we're a fixer industry, you know, and if we just go, I just can't get together with my people, so we have to just have a bad culture, well, guess what, you know, you're a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. But we'd be remiss if we didn't say, of course, there's been an impact. And part of that balancing act going forward is, all right, we're going to do, you know, three quarter time in the office and, you know, 25 percent remotely if whatever the combination. And and we're going to be very diligent about when you're in the office. This is, you know, what we're going to give to you, not giving in the sense of benefits, but that social interaction. Those to me are things that, you know, are probably we'll call it outfalls of of the pandemic in 2020. Yeah, yeah, and I was gonna just amplify what Greg just said about um, investment in in technology. You know, that's increased substantially this last year. And then pointing to the people, the other positive thing that I wanted to point out as well is we are from an industry that we're saying we're gonna figure this out, right? We're not quitting. We're gonna figure out how to get around this and how to work in this environment, and we've done it. Right. And so we've been successful over the last year on the negative side. You know, it, it is hard to do all of these things and have this added pressure of being the homeschool teacher and the lunch lady and all these things. <laughs> and so w- what it's what it's done is added more stress to our actually day job of saying, I've got to make sure that I'm important to my team. Right. And that, that, that I'm seen doing good work. And that's added a lot of stress. You know, I've seen in a whole bunch of different organizations, they actually mandate that people take time off now and they shouldn't mandate that. So it's added a lot of stress. And I think once we come back to the office, we have to encourage people to take that time with their family and friends and to spend that quality time because you'll never get it back. And that's more important than than any job is really the time that we have. And we've seen that in the last year, too. Absolutely. I agree with everything you both said. And I think the the key takeaway there is just organizations need to be intentional right now. Like you can't, you can't overdo it, of course, and, and try to force culture and, you know, culture building opportunities down people's throats. But when, when your employees do feel supported in this moment and they recognize that, you know, from the leadership down, you, you are thinking about it from a perspective that's, you know, beyond the fact that you, they want them to be doing work and delivering and performing, but they care about their well-being. It's, it's, it goes a long way. And I think, employees in the last year have started to look to their employers from a wellness perspective in a way that I don't think was necessarily the case before. So it's been an interesting adjustment in the relationship between employee and employer that in some of those things, I I really do hope 
you know, are sustained once, you know, we do start going back to work and we're not all remote, you know, all the time. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how the next year goes. I'm a little, a little bit encouraging. And of course, just the, that digital transformation that everybody has gone through over the last year has been just exponentially accelerated in a way that I don't necessarily think construction companies would have necessarily been excited about, you know, a year and two months ago before all of this stuff really, you know, started spinning up. But it's an opportunity to, you know, do better and we have less paper on the project and all kinds of other stuff that just, you know, pays dividends for our processes and our, you know, overall success as a, as a construction industry. So I've got one more question before we close this week's episode. And I ask everyone this, it's, it's a fun, it's, I get a kick out of seeing all the different responses from all the different guests. So can you tell me what is one tool you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on? And Greg, can you kick this one off for us? Sure. First being, uh, even though I'm from the industry before FMI, I'll say my tool prowess is awful. Uh, so you probably don't want me on a job site <laughs> with any tools. That being said, I, the more I've thought about this type of a question, it's a drone. And it's a, a little bit like what, what Matthew talked about. You know, largely, you know, I, I think they're pretty neat and fun, albeit, you know, if you saw my video gaming skills, you'd also say, don't let them touch the drone. <laughs> But to me, you know, what I'd want to illustrate with that is, you know, having a, a young man or young woman saying, what are you doing? You know, what, what is that thing? And you go, well, this is the stuff we use in the industry. You know, obviously, is that pertinent for all jobs? You know, if, especially if it's an interior job, I think you could probably find a way to make it work. But this is, you know, how to get people excited about our industry and, more importantly, it, it's not the, the typical, you know, level hammer, screwdriver, you know, uh, it's something different. And it shows the, the great progression our industry is going through and evolution our industry is going through. And that's just tip, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to, you know, we're able to talk about autonomous vehicles and GPS and, you know, the 3D cameras. And I mean, the, the amazing things that we have at our disposal. So to me, that drone illustrates where we're going and get people excited about this great industry that we all live in. I love that answer just because it does showcase the cool technology that we get to, to use these days, you know, and it expands out, you know, we've got the 360 cameras, all kinds of other stuff. I have a 360 degree camera that I can stick on the top of my motorcycle helmet and, you know, make weird videos of me cruising down the road. So there's, there's all sorts of stuff you can do with that. And I have actually seen drones used on the inside of a job site before. It was a touch anxiety inducing because it was a, it was an active job site and it it was a bit, you know, cramped, but the final video that we got from that was really, really cool. So it can be done. Just, you know, be careful. Sure. I'm, I'm just <laughs> Matt, how about you? Bumping the walls. I could see the painting contractor losing their mind as you're, <laughs> you know, walking, running the drone right through a wall. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe run that one before the uh, the finishing work <laughs> is done, and uh, you know, you have a lot less grumpy tradesmen on the on the project. <laughs> Matt, how about you? What's uh, what's your go-to tool on uh, on that you keep in your toolbox? Yeah, so I I must mention, you know, all the digital tools that we do have, which are really great, but I have a special relationship with a hammer. So I have to explain. When my when I went to my very first job site, I showed up with one of those tool sets that actually had a little tiny hammer in it. And I showed up with my wrench set and my hammer and I showed up and I will never forget my superintendent, the very first job site I showed up on, he says, did you get that out of a Happy Meal box? 
<laughs> my hammer. <laughs> oh, God. Because <laughs> that's not a hammer. And <laughs> so he actually went and bought me a hammer and bought me a big hammer. So I love big hammers. <laughs> I'll never forget that. But um, you always have to show up to a job site with a big hammer or else don't show up. That's like a crocodile dundee. <laughs> That's not a hammer. This is a hammer. <laughs> I'm going to have to get you a, a digital builder branded, like oversized hammer or something oh, yeah. after this. To, I'll hang to it really... on my wall. For sure. <laughs> I uh, I remember the first hammer I ever got, actually. I got it for Christmas when I was, I think, 10 or 12. Like, my dad wanted to start out my, my toolkit. And I distinctly remember kind of being like, what? why have you given this to me as a, you know, a child? I, I didn't understand, but in my, uh, my rolling toolbox out in the garage, guess what, uh, what's in there? That hammer that I got when I was 10 years old, yeah. I still use it. So yeah. <laughs> I, I love both those answers. I, thank you for sharing those. So do either of you have anything you'd like to plug that our listeners should know about? Yeah. So, so there is a ton of tools, right? And there's a lot of podcasts that like what Eric is doing uh, through digital builder, there's a lot of information out there. And so I would I would tap into as much as you can to learn as much as you can of what other people are doing in different organizations and then also looking at different industries as well. There's so much that's happening in manufacturing. And how do you tie really technology to manufacturing to help construction is something that I would I would plug. I like that. And and you're absolutely right about the wealth of, you know, knowledge sharing that's going on these days. And it's one of my favorite things about the construction industry in particular is like of course there's going to be trade secrets and things you're not going to, you know, share with competitors, but for the most part people are very open about, you know, helping others learn how to do things better. And it it impacts the industry as a whole in a really positive way. So I I'm very appreciative of it and I'm always appreciative of all the guests that come on here and, you know, share their knowledge like both of you are doing doing today. So Greg, how about you? Do you have anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Hey, you know, obviously from a, a selfish standpoint, you know, FMI, you know, not only what we do and help our industry, but, you know, the information on our website, fminet.com, you know, to, to Matthew's point, you know, not only do we feature a lot of our thought leadership, but, you know, putting some just data behind, you know, where we're seeing the industry go. And I think, you know, anytime you can learn from, you know, peers in the industry, you're not in it by yourself. And if nothing else, there's maybe some validation. Ooh, okay, at least I was, that was just a, a blip on the radar. That was reality. But I think, you know, that, that's something that we take very seriously. We're passionate about at FMI. And yeah, I encourage anybody, whatever you're doing, make sure you're always out there gobbling up as much information and, you know, kind of transforming that to knowledge for your business. You're absolutely right there. And and I can vouch for, you know, the quality of the work that your team delivers. I've been, you know, partnering with FMI now for three or four years, and it's been an absolute, you know, joy to, you know, work on all these different research projects and partner on webinars. And of course, this podcast now and everybody I've met from your team has just had a, a wealth of knowledge. And Thank then you. in addition to that, have just been a, an absolute pleasure to work with. So I, I sincerely appreciate that. And I do have two things to plug today. Uh, most of our listeners know I usually just roll by and you know close out the show but first of course you can find the url for the outcomes report in the show notes of this episode so if you want to read all of that insight and get really down into the data and the nitty-gritty about what we found uh, you can do that from that url and then the second thing that i'm a bit excited about is yesterday actually we launched the 
homepage for the Digital Builder podcast. So if you go to construction.autodesk.com slash podcast, you can find all of our past shows, some opportunities to subscribe to our newsletter. You can submit guest and show ideas. And if you push on the big button that shows up next to my headshot that says meet the host, you can see a video that either is funny or embarrassing depending on your opinion of it. So I'd, I'd highly encourage you to, to go check that out. I'm, I'm pretty excited for people to see that. So if if our listeners have any questions, can you guys share how they can connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way to connect with me. Yeah, LinkedIn as well. You know, Greg Shopman. You know, you just hopefully my name's come across the screen, or just go to our website fminet.com. You know, like I said, even if you just want to talk shop, love to hear from you and uh, just hear how the world is going from your end. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us on this episode of Digital Builder. As always, if you want to reach out with any questions or would like to be a guest on the episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at Builder underscore digital. And then, of course, check out that new website that I just shared. Don't hesitate to reach out. I do really enjoy hearing feedback from all of the listeners. And of course, please like, subscribe to, or share this episode if you enjoyed it. It really does help out our team when we do that. So thank you so much. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.